I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome back to Theology Unplugged. Good to see you guys. We are going to be talking here today about Matthew twenty-four thirty-six. Let's go ahead and get started. How's that? That's pretty fast. That was really wow. good. I yeah. Know. Wow. I guess so. Let's coming right to the point. Uh, no <laughs> advertisements. No apologies. Nothing. <laughs> well, I was listening to it the other day, and I thought, you know, I do too long of an introduction. I just need to get to it. Okay, get to it, or you're going to start doing a long introduction. I know. I know, Sam. Hey. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing great. Not that we didn't say hey earlier, but I'm acting like I just now saw you for the first time here. Hey, Tim. Hey, Sam. Wow. Did you just walk in the room? No, I've been here. (laughs) Tim, I like your Credo House t-shirt. Hey, thanks. This is not an advertisement. Oh, yes, it is. (laughs) It just slipped right into that. Actually, as a matter of fact, we are going to start a fundraiser here soon where you get a free t-shirt. Are you sure about that? Yes. You've just advertised something. Now you've committed yourself to it. I've committed. Earlier in my office, it was just, we may do it. No, it was for sure for me, and it was maybe for you. So I just I just uh, made So you're it doing official. this whole fundraiser thing? Yep, yep. We are going to start our you, spring no, fundraising I mean you, campaign. Not we. You? Us together. You're allowing <laughs> me to operate my executive directorness. Well, welcome back, guys. Uh, been a couple of weeks since we have seen you. It's uh, sometimes a little bit difficult for us all to get together, but that's the beauty of a podcast. You don't uh, have quite the schedule that you have to keep up. We are continuing our study on difficult passages of the scripture. There's lots of difficult passages that we could cover. Uh, Sam's got a whole list of these that he's done into two volumes uh, in two works that um, are going to be published. One? Uh, the first one will be out in March of next year. So, Can I give a teaser on some of the things that you have on it? Oh, things like... Um, what about the salvation of those dying in infancy? Um, one of them is on the passage that we're one of the texts that we're going to be doing uh, in one of our series on is water baptism necessary for salvation? Uh, will there be sex in heaven? Um, I'm reading that one. Well, yeah. wait, wait Tim's a- eyes just lit up, just <laughs> lit up. <laughs> Tim's like, wait, there's possibility. Is you that know, a what question? Is, you know, what is blasphemy of the spirit? Can a Christian commit the unpardonable sin? Um, hey, you've got Does God Change Your Mind in there yeah, as well? Yeah. Could Jesus have sinned? The old uh, peccability and impeccability question. Yeah. That creates a lot of heat. You know that? Yes, it does. Why? I mean, people get really upset about that. People I, get, I, get really upset about everything. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, I, th- I think it's because they misunderstand the debate. They think if somebody suggests that Jesus could have sinned, that that means he, in fact, did but that's not it, because all evangelicals acknowledge the utter sinlessness of Jesus, but they feel it's uh, dangerous to suggest that there was at least the metaphysical possibility that he could have, but that he simply chose not to, and that bothers them. They think it kind of diminishes the reality of his deity or his mm-hmm. divinity, so I think that's why they get a little bit agitated. Well, speaking about the uh, reality of his divinity, we're, we're going to be looking at a passage today that really has a lot to do, I think, with the reality of his humanity. Uh, one that uh, I, I would say is a difficult passage in many ways. It's a difficult passage theologically, primarily when we're dealing with Jesus and who is Jesus and, um, and uh, trying to relate some of the things that he did here on the earth to his humanity. 
Um, it, it's a passage in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, the, that's the primary one we're going to be looking at, I think. But uh, there's parallel pa- passages as well in the synoptics. I don't think John includes this, but it's Matthew 24, verse 36, where Jesus says this curious statement. But the day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Then he goes in, continues to talk about the coming of the Son of Man, coming of the Son of Man will be like in the days of Noah, so on and so forth. The The issue here is we're talking about when Jesus is coming again. Christian orthodoxy has been united in this fact that Jesus will come again. Um, we are eagerly waiting for that, the kingdom to be finally and completely established, and that is the second coming. Well, and that's what he left with us. Uh, the last two verses of the Bible, he's saying, uh, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, so he lets us know right away, you should, this is what I'm going to leave with you. I'm coming back. How does he know he's coming soon? He just said he didn't know when he's coming. <laughs> Maybe, why didn't he say, I might be coming soon? <laughs> I think. It seems I, I like I think it. I'm coming soon. I got a burning in my bosom that <laughs> it will be soon. Now, that's another problem passage <laughs> in Revelation. We can deal with that later. Let's come back to Matthew. <laughs> yeah, here's the deal, though. I'm glad that he didn't come back 5,000 years, or not five. I'm glad he didn't come back 500 years ago because if he did, we wouldn't be a part of the picture. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's over here just biting his tongue. No, I think man, that raises another <laughs> bevy of issues. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the question is, for those of us, we believe in what is called the, um, the, the, the deity of Christ. We believe that Christ is, as the Nicene Creed in 325 says, that he is homoousia with the Father meaning that he is of the same stuff as the Father, that he is very God of very God, that it is not as if Christ is second God, you know, that God is the biggest, the Father is the biggest, the strongest, the most powerful, and Jesus comes in a real close second. We believe that they share in the exact same essence. In him the fullness of deity dwells. Yeah. And we believe that uh, Jesus is... Uh, that Jesus has all of the attributes that God has. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. On and on we can now go. Now you started things. with omniscient there. It's interesting. Well, all knowing, yet he doesn't know the time of his coming. Yeah, and it's interesting that in the uh, debates in the early fourth century between Arius and Athanasius and their followers that this very text was one of Arius's primary passages mm. for trying to prove that Jesus is in fact a creature and not co-equal with the Father. This was one of his proof texts. And it's one of the proof texts that you'll find today among people who continue to elevate Jesus to a certain degree but not elevate him like we do as uh, being uh, fully God. So here's the question, of course. I mean, the problem should be evident to everybody. How come Jesus didn't know the time of his coming? I mean, is there is there something that God can't know? Yeah, that's the question. And it's also like asking, uh, in some ways, is it possible for God to make something that he can't lift? Can he make a rock that he can't lift? Well, can't he make anything? Couldn't he make a rock that he couldn't lift? 
then that couldn't he lift it? Isn't he all powerful? So you know, we could definitely. There are questions that feel like they're absurd in some way. You know, that God should know everything. So how could how is it possible that there might be a possibility that Jesus doesn't know something and still be an all-knowing God? Now, see, he just got us off on another thing. <laughs> like, that, that's not. I actually really have a chapter up. in my book on that one too. <laughs> I'm just advertising here. So how can we work sex into this, and we'll get we'll get this full circle? <laughs> you know, it's interesting, Michael. Though the question, the way you phrased the question, let me get this right. You said, "Is it possible that there are some things that God either doesn't or can't know?" And my immediate answer to that is no. It, it, God, by definition. Uh, knows all things, both actual and potential. But if we rephrase the question and say, are there things that the God-man doesn't know? Then we've, um, we, I think we've come closer to what will eventually be our response to this problem text. Because I think the answer to that is, yes, there are things that the God-man um, doesn't know. So there are things that we would say are true of the incarnate second person of the Trinity that we would not say are true of the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity. Um, So the issue of the incarnation, the fact that God became human and therefore subjected himself to certain limitations, who voluntarily uh, chose not to exercise certain attributes so that he might live a genuinely authentic human life, uh, uh, takes us down a different path. So it's really two different questions about um, can God do or not do something versus can the God man. If you guys were to pause this and rewind it, you got Sam just said something that w- was so much and, and really I think encapsulates the answer that we're going to get to in, in so many ways. So Sam just gave the answer to that if you guys rewind it and move forward. However, Do you have I wanna, to play it backwards? Is that part of it? No, no, no. I don't think so. Um, it, uh, <clears throat> I can't think of anything funny to go with that. I had something, but it wasn't good. Um, now, listen. Let, let's back up for a little bit, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's try to build this a little bit more. Jesus, Jesus, the eternal God, the omniscient, uh, omnipotent, uh, sh- eternally sharing in the essence of the Godhead, the second person of the Trinity, became man, was in his mother's womb. Um, now, as he was in his mother's womb, we, we, we talk about uh, him, you know, actually being conceived um, of a virgin. As he's in his mother's womb, does he know he's God? Does he, you know, is he thinking, God, I can't wait. Till I can I can start my mission, or I can't wait till I can move my arms and my legs at will. <laughs> That'll <laughs> be <so>. nice. <laughs> or or you know, twiddle on his thumb, saying, "Man, this is uh, I hope this all works out." Uh, or I, I I can't wait to redeem people, but I don't look forward to the cross. Or after he's born, you know, we we got him age two or age three. I know Zach right now, my youngest, has just hit age five. And that's whenever I start remembering things. I remember some things whenever I'm three, I mean four, uh, a couple of things. Don't really remember that much. I was on my way taking the kids to school today and saying, why don't you remember things whenever you're young? You know, I, I can just remember little bits and pieces. And I was asking my girls what they remember whenever they're three or four. Not that much, you know. Not, not very strong cognitive abilities and retention abilities. 
did Jesus have perfect? I mean, does he did he know it all? Did did he have a a fully functioning not just human mind but divine human mind that that knew exactly who he was from the moment that he was conceived all the way through adolescence into his teenage years and and just knew everything or or what i mean is there how do how are we supposed to look at jesus yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think the Bible lays out some clues to us that that he grew in understanding uh, much like we do, uh, and that yes, he did. Uh, that when he was in the temple, when he was nine years old, is that right? Twelve. Twelve years yeah. old. Uh, when he was speaking at the temple, they were surprised by how much he knew, and so it does seem like he was uh, un- he knew an unusual amount of things. Uh, but I think one thing that's interesting too. Sometimes people will kind of. Uh, use their creativity and think oh I, I wonder if Jesus when he was when he was 12 and he was hungry if he just made himself some bread and and that Jesus maybe secretly in his room was doing all these miraculous things because you know he's fully God and he can do all these great things but what's interesting is that the Bible tells us that when he turned water into wine that was his first miracle that he ever did and so, so I think that we can we can surmise that he is fully God, he's fully man, but he is growing, and he doesn't do anything miraculous until he's thirty years old or so. And so, I think that we can see a development of a human being in the person of Jesus. Yeah, I I think the um, the fundamental passage that's going to really govern and give shape to our response to this question is got to be Philippians two. Uh, because in Philippians 2, Paul talks about the pre-existent eternal glory of God the Son. You know, he existed in, a, in, a, in, a, in equality with the Father, but he did not consider it something to be greedily held on to. But he emptied himself, made himself of no reputation by taking on the nature uh, of a man and appearing in human flesh. And we have to, there's a lot of debate around that passage. My my read and my take on it is that Paul is telling us that when God the Son, co-equal with God the Father and God the Spirit, became incarnate, was conceived in the womb of Mary, he did not cease to be God. I think the idea people talk about that he emptied himself of his divine attributes. Well, that's not what the text says. That's a song. He emptied himself of all but love. Yeah. That's a song. That's not the Bible. So right. we need to be clear it's a good that we song don't. Too. It's, yeah. it's, it's a good song. It's not, and, it's, and can it be? It's not a great Trinitarian song, but it's got a good tune and <laughs> yeah. it gives us the burning in our bosom. Yeah, because Paul says he emptied himself not by losing anything but by taking something to himself he emptied himself by becoming human by taking a, a human nature and becoming flesh and so i th- i think what paul is saying there and again granted it's mysterious and profound is that in some glorious way god the son while remaining fully divine voluntarily suspended the independent exercise of certain attributes in order that he might live a genuinely authentic human life, that he might actually experience, this is hard for some people to grasp, that Jesus could actually experience events, time, space, um, sequence, uh, pain, pleasure in, in the way that we do. He saw the world as a human being. He interacted with people in time and space as a human being. 
doesn't mean he wasn't God, but in and this is the glory and mystery of the incarnation. In some mysterious manner, he suspended the exercise of those divine prerogatives and powers so that he could experience life as a genuine human being. So, one of which I think was omniscience. I don't think God the Son ceased to be omniscient at the incarnation. I think by taking the human nature, he was able to live as a man without exercising, if I can use that term, his omniscience. He didn't access, as it were, in his divine mind, the knowledge that he had as God. And so when he confesses here in Matthew 24, not even the Son knows the time of the second coming, I think in his divine nature as second person of the Trinity, of course he knows the time of the coming. But he's speaking here not as God, but as God-man. Now, he is God, but he's the God-man. He's God in flesh, God experiencing the limitations of, uh, of, of genuine human existence on this earth. And the example that I, that I think of, people say, oh, aren't you shocked or surprised that Jesus would say something like this? And I say, not any more shocked than when he said, I thirst. I mean, how can God thirst? Or let's take, for example, uh, two passages. Um, Take Isaiah 40, verse 28, where it says that God does not grow weary. And then take John chapter 4, Jesus at at the well where he meets the Samaritan woman. The text says, so Jesus wearied as he was from the journey. So Isaiah 40, God does not grow weary. John 4, Jesus grew weary. So that means Jesus isn't God? No, it means that Jesus is the God-man in his humanity, in his uh, existence as the God-man. He can experience physical exhaustion. He can experience thirst. He does, as you said, Tim, grow in wisdom. He increases in his capacity to, um, to determine what is the best of two choices. But that doesn't mean that in his divine nature as the second person of the Godhead that somehow he's deficient in knowledge or that he's in some, in some way truly and utterly ignorant. Yeah, and I totally agree with you, Sam, which it feels really good to agree together on, a, on an issue after going through some other long series together. Uh, but the way that I think about this, too, is I think it, this has very practical uh, ramifications of just how we look to our Savior and how we worship Him. Because uh, I agree with you. I think if if... Uh, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert and is telling them to turn this walk with this rock into bread. Jesus could have done it very, very, very easily. He could have turned that because he is fully God. He could have done any of those things, I think. But he would have said. But I think uh, in the back of his head, uh, he he said, "No, I'm not doing that because I'm here for Sam, and Sam can't do that." And, and you can just put your name in there. If you say, Jesus, you can do this. Just do it. You know the time of the coming. Just know it. And he's like, no, I, I am fully human, and I'm here for Michael, and Michael can't do those things. And so what he is doing, too, is I think he is our ultimate example of someone who must rely 100% on the power of the Spirit. So I think that's why Jesus can confidently say to us that you can move mountains relying on the power of the Spirit, because he did. Because he could have 
He could have just stopped relying on the Spirit, and he could have done anything because he's fully God. But he is there as a representative of us and also as our ultimate example of how he is closer than a brother, and he identifies with us in every way except for sin, and how out of love for us, he did not, and I think knowing the time of your coming is part of that. You know, it, there are certain times when then I might feel like the world is falling apart, and it seems like my world is falling apart, and if I just knew when Jesus was coming back, and sometimes you're like, Jesus, would you just come back? That would help me get through today. And just knowing the time of the coming of the king of the universe can help us get through today. Well, Jesus is saying, you know what? Yeah, humans would love to know that time. That would help us get through some terrible circumstances. Uh, But we need to just trust and trust God, trust his timing, and and let him move in us and and renew us uh, for today. And I think by him not knowing the time of his coming is an act of love towards us to say, I'm in it just like you guys are, and I'm relying in the Spirit just like you guys rely in the Spirit. Let's do this together. Yeah, and related to that, um, and you, you alluded to the fact that as a human being, what Jesus said, what he taught, his power to drive out demons, his power to heal the sick, came not primarily from his divine nature, but from his dependence upon the Holy Spirit who had filled him and anointed him initially when he was in the River Jordan at his baptism. Mm-hmm. And you think of a passage like Luke 5.17. I've always been intrigued by it where it says that uh, Jesus was in a particular city and it says, and the power of the Lord was present with him to heal. Mm-hmm. I said, wait a minute. If he's inherently and intrinsically and eternally God, Duh. Well, of course, I mean, his own divine power would be always present for him to heal. But I think Luke's saying, no, you don't understand. Jesus living a a genuinely authentic human life to show us the kind of life we are to live was drawing upon the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to heal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very, again, it's it's, it's part of this this, uh, body of passages and these events in the life of Jesus, one of which is Matthew 24, where we see a human being living as God intends for human beings to live, namely in complete dependence upon the Spirit. Now, I don't know how much time we have left, but I'm going to throw a, a, a what is it, a wrench in the works here? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question, Michael. Throw away, brother. Here was Jesus. I, in, I was getting ready to go to sleep. <laughs> here was Jesus in Matthew 24 saying, um, while he, this was in the first century. I don't know when he said this. Maybe it was, what, 30 32, 33 A.D., and he said, The Son of Man does not know the time of his coming. Does he now? Now that Jesus is glorified, exalted at the right hand of the Father, would he say the same thing, or does he in fact know? He asked me. <laughs> I know. My, my lips are sealed. You're like, this is such a softball. Let me answer this. Come on. Don't give me something good. <laughs> um, now, what, what, what you guys have said so far is that while Christ was on earth, there were rules to the incarnation, there were rules to representation that basically said you have to live the life that everybody else lives. You can't go around, and what we're saying, whenever he said, I didn't know the time of his coming, right now we're saying, okay, duh. He he didn't know what was going to happen the next day unless it was necessary for the incarnation 
to for him to know that. So he lived as a prophet. He lived as you say. Well, he walked on water, so that's where he's drawn upon his his uh, divinity. Well, so Elijah made an axe head float. You know that divine the rules of gravity is not necessarily something that you say automatically proves he's God. His 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 axe proved that his words were true, which demonstrate that he was God, but the acts themselves proved that he was relying completely upon the Holy Spirit. Well, the acts demonstrate that God was God, not Elijah was God. No, no, right. I'm talking about Jesus now. Oh, okay. You fell asleep. <laughs> I was falling, yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, and so you've got a, 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 a what I believe to be, Sam, is that during the incarnation, that was part of the rules. He could not access those divine attributes in order for self-satisfaction, um, and I believe that in everything he did. I mean, I'm, I'm open to somebody saying, well, not in every case, but I think in everything that he relied upon the Holy Spirit every time. Yeah, and, and I would even say, if some people are bothered by your saying he could not, I think what you really probably would all say is that he would not. It was, yeah. a, it was mm-hmm. a voluntary decision in becoming human that he would live his life in this manner. So it wasn't like it was an intrinsic and illogical impossibility. It was a choice made by the Son as sent by the Father. As Jesus said, I've come to do his will. I only do what I see my Father doing, um, that he would live this kind of life. So, yes, I I agree with you. Self-limitation at the Incarnation. I would say that after the after the incarnation, after the representation was complete, after he said it was finished, suddenly, I mean, the, in, in a very real sense, the floodgates of divinity were opened back up to where he could access all of those things uh, and not violate anything. Right. But here's the – this just leads to another interesting question. Um, I agree with you. I, I would say yes to, to my question, as you just have. I think he does now know – because he is in his exalted state, and he is now as he will be for eternity. So, are we prepared to say that in the new heavens and the new earth, and uh, you know, a million years down the road, that he, uh, well, obviously he will, he has complete and full om- omniscience. He knows all things. But this raises the very uh, relevant question: Is the incarnation eternal? Will Jesus be in human flesh forever? I think the answer is yes. I don't. There are some Christians who think that at the time of the exaltation, that somehow Jesus divested himself of his human nature and is now uh, unincarnate. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think there are actually texts that indicate that when he became, when God the Son became human and took upon himself flesh, he did so forever. He is. Fully and eternally God, but he is eternally the God-man as well. Having said that, um, I do believe that he does know now at the right hand of the Father the time of the second coming. I think, though, him having a body now, too, should only... I mean, I think that leads us to deepen our passion for him and our worship mm-hmm. of him, too, though, because he didn't just... The kenosis, of the, the emptying himself, he didn't just do that for 33-odd years. He has done that forever, future, and, and which I think is, is utterly amazing. And I think it's a little too platonic of us or a little bit too uh, Gnostic or whatever of us to think that body bad 
outside right. the body good, you know, because we, uh, Jesus seemed to have had a resurrected body, and it seems that that part of the resurrection is for our bodies to be resurrected one That's day, too. That's a great point. You know, and so I think that we should not always just think that our bodies are bad, but exactly. that our bodies will be glorified to as, think as that, his is. To think that God, the Son, has chosen freely and lovingly to live as a man in a in a glorified granted glorified and resurrected flesh forever mm-hmm. yeah, i mean you're right i mean that that, that again th- this gnostic orientation that despises material reality um is is refuted by the fact that the incarnation is eternal mm-hmm. yeah which i think every time we'll see jesus with our eyes i think we'll be reminded that he did that for you and me I think, I think we'll see him as, don't you think we'll see him in the same way that Thomas did when he came up and put his hand, his finger, and I don't his know. I don't know side? that he'll always have those things in his side or his holes in his hands. I mean, I've heard that before, but I've never really understood why we thought that that would be there eternally. Maybe it will. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think it would unless, unless you can make a case that by virtue of the exaltation of Jesus at the time of his ascension, that something fundamentally changed in his physical constitution. Yeah, because he already looked different whenever Mary and the girls saw yeah. him. And yeah, but, but for, I, for, for this, though, I really want to quote a, a, a high source. I want to quote Pixar's movie Cars. Yeah, because Cars when, 1 or 2. Uh, both, because both of them mentioned their dents. And remember in there where they were going to get their dents buffed out? And they said, no, leave the dents there. You might not have seen the same. I've Be- seen it. Well, oh, okay. I have grandsons. Oh, yeah. Trust grandsons. me, I've seen it. <laughs> okay. But, you know, Mater and uh, and Lightning McQueen, uh, and then in Cars 2, it's, uh, I can't remember the the other people that get the dents. And the idea is you keep those dents because those are the dents that remind you of your relationship. And I think that, uh, that citing Cars and Cars 2 may lead us to believe that Jesus kept his dents because they remind us of <laughs> what he did. anything more. So there... <laughs> That's the highest authority possible. Yes, Tim. I, I, I have spoken. That. Well, he, he's our high priest forever. <laughs> he's our he's the pioneer of our faith. He is uh, our brother, and I, I think that there's every reason to say that uh, that he will be uh, human forever, uh, omniscient, and, and and localized too. That's yes. a whole other thing. That, I mean, how exactly. long are we going to have to wait in line to actually see the the? the I, I, mean, I don't know. So I guess really what we I, I would just want to leave our listeners with this reassurance. You shouldn't be bothered by the quote unquote ignorance of the incarnate Christ concerning this matter any more than you should be bothered by the fact that he grew weary and that he thirsted and that he could actually be nailed to a cross and experience real physical death. Except I think for, it's all of a part. It's all of a whole. Except for what is it? Little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. He did not cry, right? Uh, you guys. Dude, don't bring that up there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. I hope uh, our listeners understand that was a fun Actually, you made a very profound theological point there. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. as profound as my cars. Right? No, no, that's no not at all. Not at all. Uh, next week, what are we going to be covering? Do you guys know? Uh, baptism. Yeah. Baptism. Acts 2.38, is that it? Water baptism necessary for salvation and forgiveness. All right. Until then, hopefully we uh, cleared up this uh, this question and we're moving on to the next. It's great to have you guys each week and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. 
Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.